Living Adventurously is brought to you in partnership with Kamut, the route planning and navigation app that helps you make the most of your outdoor adventures. Whether you're cycling, hiking, running or bikepacking, Kamut's easy-to-use technology will get you out the door and exploring more of the great outdoors. You can see where I've been exploring by checking out the highlights of my journey on Kamut. Just follow the link in the show notes. My name is Alistair Humphreys. I set out on a bicycle journey around Yorkshire to speak to interesting, ordinary people who, in very different ways, are making an effort to live adventurously. I wanted to talk about what they do, about the barriers they've faced along the way, and to seek their perspective on some of the big questions that all of us encounter in our lives. Welcome to Living Adventurously. <laughs> I've written here, needs intro music. Um, okay, here we go. Um... <laughs> Have a loop. I had originally planned to meet Diane much earlier in my ride, but a morning of sheer incompetence near Hull, during which I contrived to somehow lose one of my panniers, meant my plans had to change. I eventually caught up with Diane on the sort of blustery morning where you regret not wearing a coat, even though it's supposed to be midsummer. The first thing I noticed about Di was her long, long, really long dark hair. She's a hard woman to pigeonhole. Forager an off-grid mother, college teacher, beekeeper, archery instructor, and almost black belt in taekwondo. Diane is an expert in living a simple, natural, self-reliant lifestyle. But she did forget her coat. <laughs> Thank you very much, Diane, for agreeing to meet me. I tried to meet you a while ago, but my bag fell off and I failed. <laughs> but we've made it, second attempt. We have. Um, so you, I, I was really struggling to know what to ask you about because you are interesting in all sorts of different ways you've done all sorts of different things so i'm going to just start about with wild plants how did you originally get your knowledge of wild plants um i had an unusual upbringing with a soldier grandfather and a hippie father um that was what i was going to ask you about next <laughs> uh, so my my grandfather used plant remedies on me um like the old ways, really. And you move away from that when you're a teenager, young adult. And then obviously when I had my own children, I reconnected uh, with the plants around me. So you, you rebelled against the way you'd been brought up? Yes. You're telling, t you also tell me about your daughter. Um, you yeah. took your daughter travelling a lot. What did she say to you after that? Oh, when she was about 16, she said she was never going to ever go on holiday or move house again because Be <laughs> she'd been around that much. Um, but then she's now... Gone yes, off adventuring at, herself. At 18, she decided to backpack up the east coast of Australia via Dubai on her own. <laughs> okay, brilliant. So tell me, but the, your soldier grandfather yes. and a hippie father, that sounds like a novel <laughs> waiting to be written. Can you tell me a bit about that? Well, it was a bit of a, an unconventional upbringing for a little girl, two men bringing her up in the 70s. Um, and of course, this was before social services and mobile phones so I was basically left to my own devices so um, yeah they, had, they did all the things like uh, my 
my dad had grew his own veg and made his own yogurt and grew his own mung beans. Um, and my pop was very tough being a, an ex-soldier. Um, and if I was ill, yes, it was plant remedies. But my dad was a chemist, so also very uh, science-based as well. So, uh, yeah. where, where were you doing? Where were you growing up? Mask by the Sea, a coastal village on the northeast coast. Okay, is that in Yorkshire or? Uh, it was clusters, kind of clusters North Yorkshire. It was East Riding of Yorkshire at one point. Okay. But they shifted the boundaries. Okay. Uh, did you did you enjoy being brought up in that way? Was it, int- it sounds intriguing, if not that normal? Um, yeah, the early days were good. It was um, inspiring. Um, there was a lot of emphasis on education. So as the two men got more and more absent, because obviously they wanted to pursue their own lives, um, there was still this sense of learning there that it was expected that I would attend all the various after-school clubs and even when I was on my own. So, yeah, there's a strong ethos of kind of very of simple living and education with a kind of ethos. <laughs> and that, that stuck with you, hasn't it? It so. has very much so. Um, so then your, your knowledge of wild plants, um, did that come from your childhood or did you did just sort of infusing into you or did you set out and start thinking, I want to learn more about this? Because um, like you say, you kind of move away from where your parents are at, so I did, but as soon as I had um, my own child, I became a bit of an apocalypse mum. <laughs> I suddenly thought, you know, the supermarkets operate in a just-in-time stocking system. I've got this thing in my arms that I absolutely love. How will I feed it if the supermarkets fail to supply? So I set about um, kind of real hardcore learning about everything that I felt I needed to learn to future-proof my children. Okay, wow. So that's 21 years ago. <laughs> okay, and the supermarkets are still going strong. They are at the moment, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so you were, you were learning so that you could feed your family off the land. Yes. Um, did you ever put that into practice? Did you ever choose to just go to live off the land? Yes, yeah. Um, we were living already very quite remotely in a rural dale, but um, I chose to give up the cottage, which was just fire-powered and... And we're already doing a lot of making our own toiletries and um, growing stuff then. But I choose, chose to go and live in a remote caravan, just on my own with the three children, yeah. with no running water, no toilet. <laughs> yeah, this this part of your life, I'm really intrigued by the cho- uh, the choice to go live off grid. Mm. Um, what was the best part about living off grid? Um, the, the peaked senses of always living. Um, you have to be very prepared for the next need. You can't just relax. You have to know that um, you need more wood in or you need to go and uh, get something for something that you need to make. You can't just pop to a shop and get it. So you're kind of always at the peak of awareness. You can't just be dumbed down by comfort. And I quite liked that um, heightened sense of uh, being. Yeah, that feels to me like, in my world, being on a journey in that if you're if something bad happens a solo journey if something bad happens it's up to me to solve it mm. if it's raining i'd better get and put the shelter up i can't just sit around and i quite like that if it's simple but not easy isn't it yes yeah and what was the worst part of living off grid were there any uh, because i was on my own um and there was we were in a dale so there wasn't really much reception and obviously no electric i didn't really have a computer i did try and plug a laptop into a van battery but it set on fire <laughs> i didn't understand the concept of inverters at that okay. point <laughs> um so yeah very very kind of isolated really so some days if you were in if it was snowy and you could be in for six days you got three kids to talk to but there was a, a strong sense of isolation as well 
you, do you um, notice the difference between solitude and loneliness? Um, yes, I think so, yeah. I think solitude is is something that you can kind of choose to be in, maybe, and, and it can be creative and empowering, uh, whereas loneliness is something that maybe is not quite such a blessing. <laughs> yes, yeah, I find, and there's often a very fine line between the two, which mm. in my world often comes feeling quite lonely, have a nice big hot meal, put the tent up, get dry, then comes the nice feeling of solitude. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can get them both very in the similar spaces of time, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, so you're, um, I, what did other people in the neighborhood around think of you when you were yourself around? <laughs> did they think she's a weirdo? Yeah, I didn't realize at the time, but when I moved into the first caravan, which was very, very basic, it was just basically a tin box, like one room that all the farmers in the Dale all had bets on whether we would survive the first winter. <laughs> and I think, I don't know, but I think my farmer won. <laughs> uh, did, did you gain some grudging admiration from the local farmers possibly yeah it was never spoken about but yeah i think so yeah on a scale of one to ten how weird are you <laughs> uh, nine. Ooh, you are the weirdest person i've met on this trip so far i've been asking lots of people that question really well we kind of we grew our own potatoes out of our human manure mixed with mole hills and pony <laughs> okay so i think that probably classes as quite weird <laughs> okay. the one the reason i i mean i asked that question because it amuses me but i also ask it because i'm interested in what well, most most people i'm interested in are not so-called normal that's what like yes, myself i don't think job. i'm that and i really like that but i'm interested in whether the, you think what you're doing is normal like well why wouldn't more people go live off-grid and live efficiently? Or do you acknowledge that most people don't want to do this? I'm a bit weird. No, because I think also you have to go from where you are now. I've got three teenage children, and the minute I realised they had greater needs than my need to live off-grid, I had to move to an urban area, well, a more populated area for their needs. And a lot of people, you just have to go from where you are now, and you can hold that dream, and when you're ready, you can can live it. That's interesting then, the idea of um, you had this vision, idea of this living, simplistic, off-grid life, but it seemed to you pragmatically for the sake of the people around you that you needed a bit more conventional. So um, when, you came, when you then moved out of your caravan into, was it a village, a town? Yes, a little village. A little village. What, what did you appreciate about coming back to the real world? Ah, well, the first time I had central heating in probably a decade. So the ability to lie in bed on a morning and hear the wolf, knowing that I didn't have to get up in the freezing cold and light a fire before everybody else could get up. That was really... Um, I felt guilty, though. I also felt guilty about the thickness of the walls between me and knowing what the weather was like. I had to go physically go outside before I knew what the weather was like. So I did feel quite guilty at my separation and my I felt a bit weak and like I'd given up, but equally well, I think... Did you feel you'd failed by doing it? I did, yeah, but um, we'd had a flood in the caravan and it was a foot deep in water inside and it basically left everything in mo with mould. So it was a, my, my ex-husband was basically on the verge of ringing social services. Okay, so. come rescue my children from this, cr <laughs> this crazy woman. Uh, so you enjoyed the central heating. Um, I quite like the idea. What I enjoy, the trips I do is going away 
and simplifying down to a few bags and being outdoors and knowing the weather and feeling it. I like going away in order to appreciate coming home. Does that does that resonate with you or not? I never feel I want to come home because okay. I don't have a because I rent. I don't have a feeling of home. So um, what is home? I think home is a vision I have of the future. I'm working. I'm travelling towards my home in the future. I have um, four acres of land in France, and that's always felt like home. But um, yeah, I don't know whether I can get there now because of certain political changes. So. My dad, when he was very young, was, uh, traveled around the world in the Merchant Navy, and he bought, some, back in the, I guess, 50s, bought a bit of land in New Zealand. New Zealand? By the sea, going up a hill to a wood. And he always, he had that bit of land, and he came back to normal life, and he became a baker, and then, then he had to buy a big oven for the bakery and sadly had to sell his bit of land in New Zealand. And that's always pained me to think about for him, that he must have had this bit of land, other side of the world, but just knowing it was there must have been a nice (laughs) thing to to know about. Yes. Yeah. Um, The gales are coming here. Um, So you've had this interesting time of living off-grid, raising your kids off-grid. What did... Did you care what other people thought about you when you were deciding to go raise kids off-grid? No, not at all. You you didn't care, but you're an irresponsible mother here. (laughs) Um, I think one of the advantages of not having much family or much kind of connected family is that you can create your own life without having fear of judgment from others because they just don't care. (laughs) And you don't care. And I don't care, no. That's great. (laughs) So you've had that part of your life. You've also um, studied criminal psychology. Yes. How does that? How do these two things link up? Are you all right, by the way? You look absolutely freezing. Yes, I'm a bit chilly now, but okay. um, my DNA ancestry test showed that I'm more Iberian than English, okay. <laughs> which explains why I feel cold. Okay. <laughs> Are you so, okay? Yeah, yeah, fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're suddenly looking freezing. Uh, criminal psychology. Where did that fit into the into um, it all? Well, I went through the conventional path, ended up at um, university doing business studies and I had to drop out after a week because the grey landscape and the grey subject just, I couldn't bear it after one week. So I took a couple of years out and then realised I had to do something that I was passionate about and that was learning more about um, crime and criminality. So, yeah, I I ended up specialising in um, profiling. (laughs) Okay, um, which is what? Offender profiling. well, I did my postgrad studies uh, and my doctorate looking at um, decision-making processes involved in um, sex offending. <laughs> so I wanted to do something useful with my time at university. So, but it has nothing to do with my life now at all. Okay. And <laughs> so does that mean it was um, a waste of time or not? No, not at all. I think that studying doesn't just teach you what to think, it teaches you how to think as well. So it kind of opened my mind to research and data collection and evaluation and presenting yeah I probably wouldn't have felt confident of getting up to teach if I hadn't um, done all that in you know undergraduate stuff so I found it interesting chatting to you that um, you're a mixture of this full-on hippie woman is that a fair assessment yes (laughs) Uh, but also with this other side to you and we're also talking about the business you run so you're a real mixture of all sorts of well, my dad was a scientist gardener. I think James Wong calls himself a scientist gardener, and that's kind of what I grew up with. My dad would um, grow in different conditions, and, and, and even now today at 73, he'll kind of 
measure the yield output from different growing conditions and then I'll make presses earn apple juice and work out how we can get more apple juice by say freezing the apples first. So he combines kind of science with nature. So yeah, it's not that unusual. <laughs> okay. And that gives you, it gives, I suppose, a, a different way to think and to look at the world. And, mm. um, Rational and also kind of esoteric. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And uh, you, you do a lot of uh, foraging walks, or you, you certainly did for quite a long time. And the thing that, something I'm starting to try to learn in my life is to notice things, to mm. pay attention. And observation, it's one of the principles in permaculture, observation. Okay. You should observe and then accept feedback from the, the information that you're observing. So it becomes this kind of uh, reciprocal interaction with your environment. Okay, so is that is that in terms of observing the world out there or your own life? Both. Reflection. Yeah. A closed yeah. loop system. <laughs> Gosh, yeah, I'd love that we've gone from um, growing potatoes by uh, with, with your own poo to closed loop <laughs> systems. Um, early when we when we first sat down, um, I started saying, "Oh, I'm off on a journey," blah blah, and you just said, "Oh." I want to go on a journey. Can you tell me about that? What, 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 what are you thinking you'd like to do? I'd just like to put a backpack on and walk now. I want to do a forest gump. <laughs> okay, and just go? Yes. Okay, why? <laughs> I feel like I've had so many responsibilities for so long now. Um, my children are older and I've bred them to be very self-reliant. So <laughs> I feel like it's my time now. I really want to walk and learn and adventure myself now. And do you think you will? Yes, absolutely. Do you have any plans? Um, well, the future of Wild Harvest is so that I'm teaching teachers now, so that I've, you know, I've got franchisees to teach the crafts around the country. I'm teaching foraging teachers, so I can step back from that hopefully and yeah, just become a booking platform for them so that I can go and adventure and okay. hopefully write about what I'm learning too so that it's not just selfish, but I can share with other people. Okay. And what would your dream adventure be? Uh, a walk with Tristan Gooley, <laughs> somewhere warm. <laughs> okay, somewhere warm. And on that note, I'm going to stop now because you look like you're about to... Uh, <laughs> you, you look freezing for a sunny day in August. So, uh, but, yeah, thank you so much for uh, taking time to meet me. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Living Adventurously. There's show notes from every episode on my website, alistairhumphreys.com slash podcast. If you have enjoyed it, please take a screenshot of your phone and pop it up on social media or leave a review with your podcast provider. It makes a massive difference. Thank you very much. To make this podcast happen, I teamed up with Kamut, the outdoor planning and navigation app that helps you explore more of the great outdoors. One of the many ways Kamut helps you have better adventures is through their highlights feature. Kamut highlights are recommendations from local adventurers in the area you want to explore. They could be a great cafe, a particularly beautiful stretch of trail, a lookout point, or a well-stocked shop. These recommendations appear on the map as highlights, large red dots for popular highlights, those with lots of additional information and images, or small red dots for highlights that have fewer comments and images. Inside the hint, the size of the dot 
doesn't necessarily correspond to the quality of the highlight in real life. It only indicates how many people have visited the highlight before you. Perhaps it's a little less visited and therefore all the more special. Your very own outdoor experiences and some inspiring highlights are waiting for you. Go explore more with Kamut. Head to kamut.com slash G and use the voucher code ADVENTUROUS to claim your free region bundle.